In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Please be seated. The foundry is a sacred place. Now, we've talked a lot in the last few months, and we're going to keep talking about what it means to be a sacred place for all people. We're going to hear more of that as we, as we begin to see more of what the new website and some of the communications things are. I'm not preaching about that, don't worry. But we are talking a lot about what it means, especially what that means to be a sacred place for all people. A sacred place for all people. Now, radical welcome is at the very heart of Jesus' message. And we have come to believe that embracing it not only heals us, not only helps us to expand the beloved community, but we also believe that to love one another as God has loved each and every one of us may very well be the only antidote to the profound brokenness of our world. And so we talk a lot about what this means to be a sacred place for all people. But today I want to talk about a different part of that phrase and get at what it means exactly to be a sacred place. To be a sacred place. The Reverend Gray Temple, in writing about this passage from Hebrews that we read this morning, he sees in it the contours of a sacred community that is forged in the fire of mutual love and hospitality. Last week, we heard Adrian preach about the consuming fire. We don't talk about that specifically in, in today's passage, but Temple read it and sees churning and boiling beneath the surface a different kind of fire and one that we need to pay attention to because he sees in it this wonderful interplay of, of worship and fellowship and ministry. And when I say fellowship, the actual original term was not a gendered word, but rather it meant communion. That there is a wonderful interplay there that comes together to create something that is profoundly sacred. But they all have to be there together. What he writes is this. He says, worship that does not melt the soul and lead to deepen relationships with fellow servants of the Lord becomes a fussy curatorship of moribund customs. Fellowship that does not grow out of this spirited worship and that doesn't point to courageous ministry becomes boozy and gossipy. Ministry that does not grow out of worship-formed friendships becomes proprietary and sour. Something to fight about rather than something to offer. Now there's a little bit of negativity there perhaps, but I, I do want you to hear something creative that's happening there where we hear of spirit and courage, of worship-formed friendships, of praise that melts the soul. Do you begin to get a sense of, of a foundry, of a soul or group of souls being together recast and remade into something that didn't quite exist before. 
Reverend Temple writes, souls that emerge from a worship service in which people actively and admire and praise God are in a somewhat fluid, molten state. So I'll check in on you when you head out after church to see how you're doing. The issue he asked, though, is how will my molten soul set up? Or he asks, will I rush back into my normal routine to be shaped once again by the world's mold? Imagine then that each time we entered this sacred place in mutual love, praising God, supporting one another on the journey. Each time we share in ministry together, whether we're in here or out there, what we're doing is we are entering a foundry. And the heart, excuse me, the heat is getting turned up beneath us as, uh, until our souls become molten. Until the shape that is impressed upon us by the world gives way to the holiness of God's imprint. Now, you don't actually have to come to church for this kind of uh, consuming, molten experience. It happens in a lot of ways in real life. It happens when we grieve. It happens when we grow. It happens when we pray. It happens when we cry. It happens when we play. It happens when we love. But it's here in a way that we choose it. It's here that we decide we're going to come, we're, we're, we want to be a part of this molten experience and we want to be a part of it together. It's here that ministry and fellowship and worship come together to shape us and to shape us together into something that is holy. Now, in our lives, to be honest, that fire is always heating up and cooling down, heating up and, and cooling down. Uh, very few of us move through life in a perpetual molten state. That would be pretty exhausting, I think. In fact, most of us, I think, and many people we encounter, would prefer to just settle and cool. To find a mold that is familiar and then just settle on into it and stick right there. And we know that church can be that. We know that a church or a religion that fits into that mold may fit the bill nicely if that's what you're looking for. Yet the life of faith means something different. It means that these moments of liquefaction can be healing and even purifying and that something new is happening with old materials. So when Jesus speaks of the seating arrangement in that fine house on the Sabbath, he wasn't just making a point about power and protocol. He was saying that any place can be a foundry of transformation. Just as any place can keep us stuck in molds that were really just created to maintain power and status. So Jesus, we, we know the passage pretty well. Jesus is invited to, to a, a Sabbath dinner, and he sits and he observes. We have all experienced this 
in many places in our lives, right? The jockeying for position where everybody tries to get exactly the right seat. It's like Jesus went to high school. Everybody's got to be in the right place. And what he, what he says, he kind of turns to the, to the group and he offers some pretty practical advice. Where they say, okay, you could come in and, and you could sit next to the, the host who is the one that everybody wants. You could sit right next to Don and we all want to be right next to Don. And, and look, Don has a seat right next to him. Better yet, right between Don and Catherine. Now that is really the place to be right now. So someone could come and see that spot and say, well, really, I'm not all that important a person but I'm going to go and give it a try and see if I can't sit there. And they find themselves in and they're thinking, whoa, well, how, haven't I moved up in the world, right? But then what happens is someone who comes in and, and Daryl comes back and sits right down there. And suddenly I have to stand up and do the little walk of shame back to my old seat. And everybody's looking at me. I, that was not a win. But Jesus says, find, find the lowest spot so that the master may come in and invite you to invite you forward now is this the gospel is this like the is this the most transformative thing we've heard today it, it actually could be folksy wisdom but then jesus opens up the window to the spiritual life he says all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I know you've heard that before, but I, today I want you to think about the foundry. I want you to think about the molten soul. That when we exalt ourselves, as good as it may feel in that moment, we are essentially turning down the heat on the fires that remake us that remake us in the likeness of God. When we find our way into these comfortable patterns of the world that work for us in the moment, we're actually turning down the heat on a very sacred process. But when we humble ourselves, and not, not humble bragging and folk, you know, hope that someone will notice it and give us a better seat, but rather seeking out the low places because that's where the people of God are. What we're doing is we're letting that foundry heat up so that our souls can once again be transformed into something that is holy. Where instead of the world offering us a finer seat, it is God who invites us into the life of wholeness, drawing us ever further. By choosing the path of humility, the guest turns a banquet, a glittering yet dead space of power and prestige into a living and dynamic place of spiritual growth. That place becomes a sacred place. Any place can be a foundry of transformation, just as any place can keep us stuck in molds that were created to enforce power and enforce division. Anything can be like this, but you know, the banquet is such a great metaphor because we all know what it looks like. We all know that jockeying for position, but in the midst of it, nothing changes. Well, small things change, right? Who is in the right seat? Who holds power? Who's moving up? Who's on the way down? All right, that changes. 
the menu may change a little bit from week to week. But really, that doesn't change either. The fundamental system of inequity, though, at the base of it all, does not change. And our souls remain solid and inert because these interactions, these relationships are all about transaction and calculation and not about mutual love. Jesus is teaching us not only that the soul is a molten thing, but that the kingdom of God, this too is a molten thing. The beloved community is a molten thing. And it's something that's only going to come about when we change our guest list and our reasons for gathering in the first place. When you give a banquet, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be blessed because you loved and welcomed and hosted without regard to the transaction. You will be, you will be blessed because you loved for the very sake of it. We began with a collect of the day that has one of those phrases I'm, I'm never quite sure about. Increase in us, we prayed. Increase in us true religion. How many of you got out of bed and got in the car and like, I can't wait for some true religion today? <laughs> right? It's kind of a weird phrase when you think about it. It's, it, because the banquet Jesus attends today, hosted by the Pharisees, by those good church folk, kind of feels like, like true religion, like what religion is supposed to be all about. It's not about transformation. It's, it's not about encountering God. It's just another set of fancy ice trays into which we pour the living fire of our souls and thus halt the chemical reaction of transformation. But that is not true religion. When we pray for an increase in true religion, we are asking God to do something to us. To turn up the heat so that our molten souls can be poured time and time again into new shapes that reflect the contours of God's consuming love. Amen.